0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Uh, this is a shout-out to listeners Simon and Jonathan, who complained to me yesterday that we have been recording too late, and releasing the podcast later than eleven, which is when they like to listen to the podcast. And we are actually today recording uh, around quarter of nine in the morning. Uh, we've been uh, doing it later because to be to be totally frank, I have been uh, playing tennis with with my wife uh, at uh, around eight, so we've been doing it a little later. And uh, today we're not doing that, so we are here with the with the big listen and we we thank them for their uh for their continued listenage uh guys i i uh i'm getting a little upset uh having of course as you know ranted about how people who haven't gotten the vaccine are stupid and all of that but um as the uh panic over the uh Oh, I heard a new term, by the way. It's not just highly contagious anymore. The highly contagious corona, uh, uh, the Delta variant. Um, NPR knew, used a new term yesterday, highly transmissible. So now we have two uh, cliches warring. The word highly, of course, remains constant, but we have. Um, Sounds highly synonymous. Yeah, well, we have so we have the the adverb remains, but the adjective there are now two adjectives, so you can at least uh, you know you can at least mix it up a little bit. But um, there is a kind of uh, panic about the about the Delta variant, and as I look at the numbers, just the raw numbers and and of vaccinations, um, I think that we are at risk of uh, turn of 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 this kind of weird. neo-anti-Americanism where the line is that Americans suck and they they have no uh, common purpose and no common bond and everything is terrible. And nobody trusts institutions and all of that. And we know a lot of that is true. But I'm looking at these numbers and here's what I see. What I see is that according to the New York Times this morning, so the only people who can get vaccinated in this country are, uh, you know, above the age of 12, right? Or 12 and above, so the uh, at least one dose number in the United States is 65.6%. Fully vaccinated, 56.9%. So if you follow the logic of the at least one dose thing, some point in the next week, that at least one dose for everyone in the country, 12 and up, will, will, will go over 70%. Uh, and 18 and up the at least one dose is 68.3%, fully vaccinated, 59.5%. That number will, in a day or two, go over 70% for at least one dose. And we will be probably in a week, a week and a half, 18 and up, where the people who are, of course, vastly more at risk from COVID than anybody under 18 will be around 70%. Which means that the Biden administration's goal of 70% vaccinated adults, which was set for July 4th, will be achieved around July 26th or 27th, let's just say, possibly, maybe a little later. So it's a couple of weeks later, and were it not for the fact that the Delta variant is out there, uh, we would be saying, okay, it was a little slower than we we, we hoped for, but... Um, Come on, this is amazing. This is, this is out of a universe of 270 million people. 70% of them, right? Which is, let's do some quick math. 170 million people or something like that will have be fully vaccinated, okay? Uh, right now, 186.3 million people have received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. million have been fully vaccinated. Um, This is an amazing... We've never asked for anybody to do anything remotely like this before in the way that we have asked people to do this, including with this two-dose, come back in three or four weeks to get your second dose thing. And we're sitting here talking as though, you know a terrible failure of the American public wheel has happened here. And uh, I I think that's just wrong and it's dispiriting and it sends the wrong message to everybody who has done this. Uh, It's one of the reasons why it will be, it might be easy to reimpose mask mandates in places because the very people who did this, are the people who are most concerned about COVID, obviously, and the most worried about COVID, and the most susceptible to the message that their vaccination might not have been fully effective, as opposed to the people who are refusing to get it, who are either not worried about COVID or so terrified of the vaccine that they're willing to risk COVID, whatever it is. And and the framing of this, this is a a, a colossal failure of imagination on the Biden administration's part, on the media's part, it's only, it's only by the way, not maybe a, a, a violation of the media's responsibilities because, of course, the media are, um, uh, when uh, this is the major story of the last year and a half, and, um, and they're addicted to it, and they, they're driven by uh, catastrophism as opposed to uh, good news about the, about the vaccine.
1: That's an important perspective. <clears throat> it's good to have that sort of outlook and irrational pessimism is annoying and debilitating. So it's important to keep that in mind. At the same time, it seems to me perfectly consistent with how we've approached this virus from the very beginning, from day one, we understood what who the vulnerable population was and uh, what the their outcomes were. And we shut down the whole of society in order to preserve and protect that small slice of the population. Right now, we have about 80 million people who aren't vaccinated, and case rates are exploding in this population. Um, we have now over 300 deaths per day, all of which are entirely preventable in a country that is awash with no cost to you vaccines that are available and access. We keep we still talk about how access is a problem. Access is not a problem, and it hasn't been a problem for months. It's just an excuse that's made for the certain Subset of unvaccinated individuals that we can justify their irrational decision-making process, and it is an unspeakable tragedy. Every one of those deaths is an unspeakable tragedy, and it's happening 300 times per day. So, while it's important to maintain a proper perspective about the successes that we have had, the failure that we're enduring right now um, is is a tragedy and a preventable tragedy. And one that uh, that to, you know, to address through mitigating measures, as much as I think they're unnecessary, would be perfectly consistent with how we've approached this virus from day one.
0: Well, thanks for, thanks for, uh,
1: thanks for raining on my parade, Noah. I mean, it is the truth, though. I mean, I know, we could sit around and celebrate, we should celebrate the successes that we've had with the vaccines, completely unprecedented. All of it is unprecedented. And it'd be nice to, for all of us to get back to, to normal life and treat this, like it were the flu but it's not the flu just yet. Right. Okay. I wish it were, but okay. we're not at the so stage of which blame- it's just a seasonal virus. Right.
0: So let's go to the blame game because a Ross Douthat has a has a brilliant column today following up actually citing at the beginning Michael Brendan Doherty's piece in National Review that was the focus of our podcast yesterday. Uh thank you for uh, thank you to MBD for joining us yesterday. It was a very uh, interesting discussion. I'm going to read an email from a from an irate uh a uh, leftist listener who emails me three times a week to tell me that we're all terrible. I'm going to read it in a minute cuz I think it's interesting. Um but uh so Ross basically says, look, if you look at the data from the Kaiser Family Foundation and other surveys of this sort that that um that uh this idea that it is Fox News and Tucker Carlson who are responsible for the fact that, you know, uh you know, people are not getting vaccinated is preposterous that we are we are at a point at which the reasons that people are not getting vaccinated are multifarious and that they, there is no one explanation. There is no one cause. Uh, there are all kinds of reasons. And so uh, this um, approach that uh, that going increasingly punitive with this conversation um Michael says it. Michael basically says it's 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 uh, self self defeating because you're gonna make you're gonna make people more resistant. Ross sort of says the same thing, but but ultimately it's uh, you need like lots of little messages that are targeted to different populations that might be able to hear them uh, as opposed to you know listening to uh, you know the Lincoln Project call Tucker Carlson a mass murderer five five times a day. Uh, you know where they are speaking to no one who is unvaccinated who is listening to them it's just a comfort message for liberals in the left uh reinforcing their idea that that you know the right wing is is is, is evil and and finding a new way to blame trump effectively or trump surrogate for 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 the evils of the of of the virus um and i think that's that's It's pretty striking. And so here's where we are. Like, uh, we're going to hit 70% of Americans being fully vaccinated over the age of 18 and over the age of 12 at some point in the next month. What do we expect? Abe? Abe? This is America, to- what do we expect? Thirty percent of people think that you know that that uh, that you know aliens are living among us, and that you know I don't know the moonshot didn't happen. I mean, you know that's a this is a country in which a lot of people think a lot of weird things and behave in a lot of a lot of weird ways well, I mean, especially in recent years,
2: you know um agreement about what uh the purpose of the country is agreement about what uh good the good is um uh these things have um sort of you know frayed in recent years when you think about what americans what a majority of americans agree on and believe in as good um there was some recent poll um that that said uh, the only there are three things that, that a majority of americans uh, it asked in a list um um uh, believe in or support uh and these are i think a majority of americans still support the police support the military and small businesses um and sort of uh everything else was all over the place like you know there was no very little agreement um so yeah the idea that a majority of americans because it it is a majority i mean there there are more anti-vaxxers than we'd like but they they are they are in the minority the fact that a majority of americans not only are on the same page about the efficacy of vaccines but are actually willing to do more than just say we're on the same page but actually go and 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 get them and um is i think yeah very very heartening considering how fractured and frayed we've been in recent
0: years uh so i i, I want to I wanted to sort of press this point because we are, as as we as we know, there are these data points that we are on the verge of some kind of mini return to lockdown, mini to mid return to lockdown, l a county reimposing the indoor mask mandate on everyone, including the vaccinated last week. And then Christine, we had this absolutely horrifying decision. By the american academy of pediatrics uh and that we want we need to talk about them and also what they represent because it's an important bellwether uh in this you know in this journey um do you want to tell us about it
3: yes the uh, american academy of pediatrics announced yesterday that they're recommending masks for every child over the age of two whether that child is vaccinated or unvaccinated uh, for the school year, this is a direct, um, in direct opposition to what the CDC said most recently, which is that if you're a vac- if kids are vaccinated, they don't need to wear masks. For, so this means middle school and high schoolers who are above the age of 12. If teachers are vaccinated, they don't have to wear masks. And really, you know, in in areas where there aren't big outbreaks, because of the extremely low risk to children of COVID. You know schools don't have to have mass mandates there either so the this is a, this is a much more draconian way of looking at public health. It is completely in keeping with the way that the American Academy of Pediatrics has always operated, whether you're talking about breastfeeding recommendations, sleep recommendations, whether you can have a glass of wine in your third trimester of pregnancy recommendations. they are extremely hyper cautious they always have been the kinds of recommendations they tend to make to parents, assume the worst about any parent, assume each parent is likely to do something egregiously harmful to one's body during pregnancy or to one's child in infancy, they they overcorrect constantly. Most people might not know this, however, and my fear, to be honest, is that the social, the the, the kind of pressure from the fear-mongering safety, always, you know, zero COVID types, of which there are many, particularly among teachers' unions and um, a certain pockets of, of liberal-leaning parents in this country, that they are going to say, we don't, the CDC hasn't done enough, we have to follow what the pediatricians say, follow the doctors, follow the science, without any understanding that the AAP's recommendations, first of all, are just those recommendations and their history of recommending and overcorrecting to an extreme has actually uh, created an entire industry in parenting led by uh, Emily Oster, an economist who's, who's written several books about this, who basically looks at the data. She's an economist and says to the public health people, you guys are freaking out a little bit too much here because what you're claiming, you don't have a lot of basis in the evidence to say that. So, so I think that there could be a parent backlash because we know look, the Delta variant is more contagious. We do have evidence of that. What what we don't have evidence of is that it is any more deadly or dangerous to children. It's not. We have no evidence of that. So the idea that kids, some of whom have spent more than a year without being able to go to school inside a classroom with a teacher in front of them, the idea that they should if they want to go back, they have to remain fully masked, three-, four-, five-year-olds fully masked all day if they want that kind of education, is ridiculous that the risk is remains low for them, even with a more contagious strain, because I mean, the I strain low, is not as deadly. Low
0: is not, to get back to the highly, the use of uh, of, of, of adverbial of uh, Infinitesimal. I mean, it's extraordinarily low. Exactly. It is, it is, it is astoundingly low. Uh, It is the miracle of this pandemic that this is the case, and we are not living within the confines of the miracle that we have been handed by God uh, to spare small children from the consequences, small children who are immunocompromised, remember, like they are, they are between the ages of zero and five. They are, they do not have a fully formed immune system. And we, they, we, and, and they are, they have, they are not dying. 340 Americans out of 630,000 Have died under the age of 18. 340. We don't even have a breakdown by age right? Of and those the numbers.
3: Well, and the risk assessment that the American Academy of Pediatrics is making did not clearly, did not take into consideration something that's really important here, particularly for the youngest children, and that's that masks are not without risk. Now, they might not be, oh, I can't breathe kind of risk, although there are some children, particularly if you have autism or any sort of sensory deprivation issues as a child, masks become a very big challenge for those children. But just in general, how teachers interact with young children, if you cannot see each other's faces, it is a different experience. Our, our friends at the dispatch have a have a great piece in, in today's newsletter uh, written by a teacher who talks about these, saying these, there are some qualitative trade offs that you're making in demanding that everyone wear masks, and given that the risk is so low. And the adults themselves have had access to vaccination if they're teachers since January or February. It doesn't make sense to punish, the ex- punish children and give them such a subpar experience of learning, forcing them to wear masks. It doesn't make sense.
0: I think it's also important to note that the reason that this is such a terrible thing to have happened is precisely that it puts pressure on the CDC to alter its recommendations. The American Academy of Pediatrics is a group that claims on its website to represent six hundred sixty-seven thousand American pediatricians. So I don't really know what that means. I think it's sort of like a professional interest group that people join, maybe they lobby for you know, uh, tax breaks for certain types of you know pediatric medical devices. I, I mean, I don't know if, if they do that, uh, you join it because you're a pediatrician, and then they issue these diktats, and my favorite one, which is that now we have, like, or my least favorite, however you want to call it, because we're now in wild conflict. Uh, so the the American Academy of Pediatrics, when my, when my oldest, who is now 17, was like a baby— or a little before she was born, they issued uh, they issued a finding that uh, no child should see a screen before the age of two. Now, screens then just meant television. They didn't just mean television. Obviously, people had laptops. There wasn't there wasn't that much to watch. You know, YouTube had barely started then. You know, so there was there wasn't that much to show them. Um, but they, so they meant TV. So this was a, a, a finding that uh, that under the age of two. 10 million people under the age of two, parents with kids under the age of two, if they let them look at a television screen ever, they were melting their brain down. So what was the purpose of this? So my, my theory has always been that they wanted to they wanted to point out commonsensically that there is a hazard to using TV as a babysitter, that it might, you know, it's better to read to your kid, it's better to interact with your kid than to plop your kid in front of a television and then go about your day. And their way of doing it is to be eliminationist, is to say, okay, in order to get people to feel guilty about putting their kids in front of the TV, which they're going to do anyway, we will say, you can't do it at all. It's sort of like, you know, Presbyterianism. You know, it's like, you, everything you do is sinful. So that, you know, you're going to sin. But uh, if everything you do is sinful, then anything that you do, you're going to at least feel guilty about and it will have a restraining effect on you.
3: Well, they. All of their recommendations are, in an ideal world, X, right? Yeah. So so let's insist on X. Uh, yeah. In fact, we live in a, in the real world, which is much more complicated. And and my fear, honestly, you're right, to, to be concerned about pressure being placed on the CDC, because we know the CDC, under Rochelle Walensky, is perfectly happy to cave to special interest groups. They did that with the teachers' unions already. It, it, I do worry, and the teachers' unions, by the way, are going to seize on this as, a, as right. another bargaining chip for their fall reopening demands.
0: But then let's go back to the screens melt your brain thing, because what is the alternative to in-person education during the pandemic, right? It is kids sitting eight hours a day on screens between the ages of five and 17. I don't remember the American Academy of Pediatrics saying, this is dangerous for kids. They should probably go back to school because the developmental consequences of having them sitting on a screen eight hours a day are just too dangerous for they their developing some, brains
3: they did urge a return to in person schooling they okay. they have and, and in uh, fact okay. that 's their but rationale late, for right? masking yeah, very late, but their rationale for masking right. is the only safe way to do it is this way to okay. to set but again, this goes to the broader point we we began discussing at at the beginning of this podcast, which is. One of the rationales is that everyone should wear masks to protect the unvaccinated. And that to me is no longer a persuasive argument. You cannot make that demand on the American people, the soon the majority of whom have made that sacrifice already and have then gone and done the right thing and gotten a vaccine. So the idea that my kids who haven't had any in person schooling for more than a year have to go back but wear a mask to protect the kids whose parents won't get them vaccinated, no, that's not fair. I just, and I'm you know, it, they I just shouldn't don't have think to do that.
1: The political class is gonna get that message absent an um, election. I think it's going to take an election result in which the referenda issue, referendum issue, singular referendum issue is COVID mitigation strategies. I don't think they're, they can hear it over the noise. I don't think they can hear it over their loudest constituencies, their interest groups. It's just too loud. They can't hear the American public. If the American public is indeed not going to take that uh, approach lying down, they're not going to suggest that, well, I did everything right. And yet I'm still being punished because these people didn't. Um, And I, that, could very well be a very potent sentiment. I, I don't think we're going to see it manifest in any sort of political way it, it, without a landslide election result.
2: But I, I think I think the problem with that is that the American public will take it where it will take it, and it won't take it in other pockets. And I think I think where they won't take it, the message will be received, um, and uh, where the American public will take it, lying down or masked. Um, the politicians will have received the correct message there as well. W- w- but that's, we'll why has to be a,
1: that's why it has to be a cycle. It can't be a local election in a suburb of Texas or even a gubernatorial election in an off year. It has to be a midterm or a presidential, a general well, maybe, <laughs> in order I mean, for that there to I mean, be a yeah. national message.
0: Look, I assume that all the polling is correct and that Gavin Newsom is going to easily survive his recall, which I think is in September. But, I mean, I suppose, following your logic, if this goes on the way it's going on, and California, you know, we have the largest county in the country making up a quarter of the population of California under a mask mandate, um, I mean, I don't know who, you know, I don't think people are going to vote for Caitlyn Jenner over over uh, over over Newsom under those conditions. But I don't know, maybe there could be a really significant protest vote that holds his vote down and that... And that is seen in the way that some of the results in 2020 sent a scare into Democrats about the way they talked about cops. Um, you know that that famous phone call right after the 2020 election when Abigail Spanberger and others said, "You're killing us. You lost us South Florida. What's the matter with you people? Shut up. Shut up with your crazy nonsense." And I suppose that this something like that could happen. At least not defeating newsom but holding him down but i don't know i mean i I honestly i don't know but i mean it's an interesting thing that you say no but i i i do
1: and then what do i know because then californians turned out and drove in 2020 to vote down this law that was essentially the pro act and then what did democrats do they went and wrote the pro act yeah and then they're trying to jam it into their to their reconciliation bill so what do i know they can hear whatever the message they want to hear
0: now the one mitigating political fact is that Biden wants to declare victory over the virus. It's not that he wants, despite I know uh, our listeners thinking all Democrats want to do is you know force people to live in their and stay in their homes. Biden would like to declare victory over. He and his people in the White House would like to declare victory over the virus, but he has his Surgeon General. Vivek Murthy, praising the L.A. County lockdown, and there is going to be this pressure on the CDC. Now, they can, the CDC is not, you know, the CDC is a, is an, is an arm of the federal government. The President of the United States can say, you are not to say that everybody has to go back in masks. There is a national consideration here that outweighs this. I am not going to let you do that. But we don't, he doesn't, I don't just know the opposite has, right now. The
1: surgeon general is applauding these low. That's what investors. I just said. And, right.
0: So that's the <laughs> surgeon general acting on his own. And, but the, if the CDC changes its recommendations, that will be a very big blow to the Biden administration's political needs, which is at some point, you know, they can say, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, this is all Tucker Carlson's fault, but you, I don't know how long you can hold that together. Tucker Carlson is making everybody wear a mask again. Well, it won't be Tucker Carlson.
3: Well, and parents are not again I mean parents are a small smaller group among this but in Fairfax County Virginia for example they've got a recall petition to recall the head of the school board there who absolutely botched school reopenings for and 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 you know uh, under sway from the unions made a hash of any attempt to have school reopenings and parents are angry enough that they are going to oust that person and school board right. elections across the country are reflecting this so I think Noah's right that it for the for the top To really get the message, it's going to take a big uh, landslide election or a a big change in voters' habits. But at the local level, we already see a lot of churn, a lot of activity on on the part of people who have just had it. They've had it
0: up. But look, political systems are responsive. If stuff like that happens at the local level, don't think politicians at the higher than local level aren't going to look at that. I mean, Fairfax County is, of course, a rock-ribbed blue county now. And if that happens, that will be a very significant event that will cause alarm bells to ring everywhere. And don't think, by the way, Andrew Cuomo doesn't want to be able to declare victory over the virus. He needs to turn the page and basically make the claim that everything he did was wonderful. And of course, New York actually, for example, has a very high vaccination rate. He's not going to want to shut New York down again because Mississippi has a low vaccination rate. Like, you know, that that's not... So we do have countervailing political pressures that, that will have some effect on this, But part of it is they have decided that they want to talk about this, they being the sort of the liberal establishment, wants to talk about this in funereal tones, suggesting that America has failed in the vaccination effort. And we are going to reap the whirlwind from it, but so are they, because they're in charge. They're in charge of the Senate. They're in charge of the House. They're in charge of these, the largest states in the country. They're in charge, and they are the ones who are going to be reimposing behavioral controls on their populations. We
3: we also shouldn't shouldn't, uh, let slide the fact that the media, uh, absent Donald Trump on the political scene in the way he was for four years, has lost, they've absolutely... Plummeted in in terms of viewership, for example, the cable news networks, and this is still, as you said earlier, John, this is still a major boogeyman for them. Like they can constantly point at this and say, "Look at all these rubes in Mississippi," and you know, "Look at the horrible Tucker Carlson," and, and the idea that you have to have this that engagement for them can be angry denunciations of the other side. If you take that away, they really are in a position where right. they're going to lose even more viewers.
0: Okay, I want speaking of angry denunciations of sides, I want to read this. Uh, I'm going to uh, before uh, after the break i want to read this email from from an angry uh liberal listener but uh, before i do that let me talk to you about expressvpn because did you ever read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode it says that your activity might still be visible to your employer your school or your internet service provider how can they even call it incognito Look to really stop people from seeing the sites you visit, you need to do what I do and use ExpressVPN. Think about all the times you've used Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, a hotel, or even at your parents' house. Without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the admin of that network, and that's still true even when you're in incognito mode. I mean, do you really want your parents or your grandparents to see what you've been looking at? What's more, your home internet provider, I'm talking Comcast, at and whatever, can also see and record your browsing data, and in the U.S., they're legally allowed to sell that data to advertisers. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so that your private online activity stays just that private. ExpressVPN works on all your devices and is super easy to use. The app literally has one button you tap it to connect, and your browsing activity is secure from prying eyes. So stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash commentary. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash commentary to get three extra months free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot slash commentary to learn more. Okay, so here is the email from listener Daniel. Uh, hi, John. I call it pretzeling of the highest order that you, with the help of Michael Brandon Doherty, were able to put the most benign face on right-wing COVID vaccine resistance with the presumed goal of mollifying your listeners. The fact that at the same time you were able to maintain a contempt for left-wing vaccine skepticism and heap scorn on the regulatory process that vaccines usually go through to be accepted by the FDA proves you to be intellectual tongue twisters of rare skill. After all, the right-wing resistance by your own analysis is supposedly based on the vaccine being untested so you think there's too much testing but you can't blame people who don't want to take an under-tested vaccine unless they are left-wing hippie types in which case they deserve only derision truly acrobatic uh so uh, nice. he emails me constantly. So uh and it's 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 like we're his hate listen. So I just thought this was an interesting. It's 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 kind of an intelligent. I was sort of thinking about this yesterday. It's effusively like, complimentary. Oh, it, okay. Please, please, please elaborate. Ventilate on this. You're subject. an acrobat. You're the most skilled rhetorician we, of our time. We, we, not just me. Oh. He was referring to all of us. I just want to make this point. You are an acrobat who Noah. We're the, we're the flying Walendas of conservative podcasting. We are the <laughs> Cirque du Soleil of the right. We are spinning in the air and spinning hoops and all of that. Um, I think part of the point, so I was thinking about this question, which is just as there are anti-Trumpers and then there are anti-anti-Trumpers, there are anti-vaxxers, and there is an increasing category of anti-anti-vaxxers. I do not believe that this is the case with, with with Michael Brandon Doherty, but the anti-anti-vaxxer is a real phenomenon. We can see it on, if you read Twitter, you can see it on Twitter every day. And and um it is a temptation. I mean, I find it a temptation because this uh, aggressive, ugly caricature of the right as all being anti vax and you know, no. If you don't denounce Tucker Carlson on an hourly basis, you are effectively an anti-vaxxer because he must be destroyed. And you know, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Go ahead. It's Dave.
2: it's funny because I think there's another similarity between how sort of the the public and the media are responding to anti-vaxxers and the, and the the course this is taking and the and the way uh, everyone responded to the first evidence support of of trump um i think we're at the this the the analogous phase regarding anti-vaxxers where it's you know let's go out there and try to understand them we don't we don't know these people just like just like there was with the with the with with the the initial dismissal of the trump supporters now we're at the let's go try to understand these people if if we can go by the first model this will last about a week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> please. I please mean that's a happen. really good analogy though to, because yeah. that process
1: was never genuine and honest, right. right? I mean they were parachuting into you know southern Illinois to go to we're a local diner at. not with the intention of conducting some sort of anthropological study of Trump voters sure. but to anathematize them with fodder for mockery. Evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Um anyway, so uh,
0: but here's what I w- here's what I would I would I would say about this it is important in an ex, in the exposure of hypocrisy, if that's the game you want to play. I, I consider, by the way, the exposure of hypocrisy both extremely important when you are talking about very, very, very serious issues um, and and the the bad faith, because uh, you know to be to be honest, you know, hypocrisy is a real temptation. It is an intellectual temptation for everybody to f- make excuses. For your side or for the people who are largely on your side, while you hold the people to the other side to a standard you refuse to hold your own side to, it is an intellectual temptation that has to be resisted, and it's difficult to resist it because uh, you know as as uh, as again the uh, the listeners that I spoke to last night. As Jonathan, the listener I spoke to last night, said, you know, I want warriors. Like I I I'm not I'm in a place where I can't just come out and say what it is that I have to say because of my professional uh standing and where where I am in the world. So I I you know, he said to me something like, You have too many scruples. Like these people want to destroy us and you gotta go after them. I want warriors. And I I understand that impulse very much because of course we're all we sit here, we talk about all the stuff that we think that the cultural left is about—that is—that is destructive. Having having said that, uh, the, the the hypocrite search is also one of the easiest and cheapest forms of clickbait, slate style. Oh, you say this, you know, sort of Michael Kinsley journalism, which is like, let's just look for, let's let's hit people you know at at their lowest you know rather than engaging with them at the highest like assume that they that their argument has merit or assume that they believe what they're saying what does that tell you about the argument that they're making and in this case i think uh the argument of the liberal establishment about vaccinations and covid in general has had the quality of um intellectual gaslighting of a very high order it's not just hypocrisy it is the everyone stay inside until there's a demonstration whose politics i think are really important then you can go outside 25 million of you can go outside you can't go on a beach but you can you know where you can be spread out but you can certainly go on a bridge and shut down the bridge where you're standing cheek by jowl for a mile that's fine because the political necessity of demonstrating about George Floyd outweighs the danger of COVID. And when you when you see those kinds of arguments being made, and they're serious, it's not just hypocrisy. It is it is uh, maddening. It is it is it is to dry It is the sort of thing that says you're saying one thing one minute and the opposite the next and you're an authority and you're someone I'm supposed to be listening to and what the hell am I supposed to make of this you're you're destabilizing my sense of reality here and that's partially what MBD was saying yesterday was saying in his piece and we talked about it yesterday which is that which is that people have been listening to authorities basically among the liberal establishment for a year, a year and a half, and they've basically decided that they don't trust anything that they're saying, including about the vaccine. And a lot of people are like that, and that's why it's such a fiendish problem. Ross Douthat, in his brilliant column today, makes another interesting point, which is that uh, there may be a divide here between people who have had good medical experiences and people who have had bad medical experiences. He's speaking as somebody who actually had a sort of mysterious medical condition that it took several years to diagnose. And, of course, people who have been through that experience or, like, have kids who have these kind of, you know, who have conditions that are, are, are not easily diagnosable come away with a healthy skepticism to rage with the medical community, in part because they speak so confidently about everything. You know, they don't come to you and say, look, you know, things are really complicated here and we don't really know how to handle this. And so making sure that you just don't accept, you know, what you're being told by the right or the left or whatever is part of the only way to remain sane in 2021. But
3: this is a really important point because in a a non-pandemic time, if you go to a medical professional and they give you some medical advice, you're often encouraged to get a second opinion, right? And if you're smart, particularly something serious like potential surgery or whatnot, you get a second, maybe a third opinion, maybe a fourth. What was weird about the public health messaging during the pandemic is that anyone who expressed a secondary opinion was either actively censored or called a crazy Looney Tunes person. This included people who questioned the origins of the virus. This included people who questioned treatments for the virus. This included people who were encouraged by the idea that we would swiftly have a vaccine for the virus. So there really was a strange kind of um, circling of the wagons among most of the medical profession and certainly the public health warriors. And that, I think, when, when Michael was talking about this yesterday, I was recalling just how you were not allowed to say certain things, even if you were yourself a medical or public health professional, because the the wagon circled and that was it. And most of it was also, of course, immediately politicized because of Trump.
0: There's an important piece that people should read in City Journal today, City Journal, city-journal.org by John Tierney called The Panic Pandemic. Now, it comes to conclusions uh, at the end that I think are 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 extreme in some ways but this is a description of precisely this process that Christine is talking about about the about the inquiry into covid and how to treat covid and how very creditable epidemiologists and scientists and doctors like John Yanitas at Stanford um uh jay uh Bhattacharya, his colleague at stanford and others uh were you know treated as though they were monsters and and corrupt by the way and corrupt because as john points out because they had they had uh they had said lockdowns were uh dangerous and were and were self defeating um you know uh BuzzFeed revealed that an airline executive opposed to lockdowns had contributed $5,000 to an anonymized fund at Stanford that had helped finance the fieldwork. And as John says, Tierney, the notion that a team of prominent academics who were not paid for their work in the study would risk their reputations by skewing results for the sake of a $5,000 donation was absurd. On its face, and even more ludicrous, given that Yanidis Batacharia and the lead investigator Aaron Ben David said that they weren't even aware of the donation while conducting the study. So here you have the phenomenon of not only active suppression, but um, but slander, actual slander uh, against people who were simply attempting to participate in the public conversation about the public policy results. Of how we fight the fight the pandemic now i don't know that they're right or wrong i i'm i'm more you know i'm more sympathetic to the lockdown argument and as i say the piece then uh at the end is uh i think gets to conclusions that i'm not uh, I'm, i'm not in agreement with but that i'm not in agreement with it doesn't mean you shouldn't read it which is of course christine's point here which is that it's okay for there to be information around That isn't something that you agree with. That's how you form a more plausible picture, and feel, by the way, in an odd way, more justified in making the drawing the conclusion that you draw. Uh, I mean, I have no. I I've spent the year reading everything that I can read, hearing about how hydroxychloroquine. Actually, is a good uh, treatment for COVID if you have COVID. I know people who took hydroxychloroquine and were essentially cured of the symptoms of COVID. This was back in like last summer. Major, you know, serious doctors who were able to prescribe it for themselves and their families, and you know, so it's 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 anecdote, but uh, it made made perfect sense that that was the case. And for some reason, we were supposed to treat COVID as though there was no mitigation strategy possible. Because then people would just go out and go and do whatever they wanted to do, uh, which you're not allowed to do unless you're protesting George Floyd. Then you can do that, but you're not allowed to do that for any other conceivable reason, including just taking your kids to a playground. Now, because here what we're talking about, we're talking about how the unknown came in 2020 and changed our lives and the workplace and some of us are getting back to the office, although I hear Apple is now delayed the getting back to the office because of the Delta variant. Some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed. So is the future of seating. And X Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now X Chair's newest innovation, LMAX temperature regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling heat and massage in your lower back. Feeling a bit warm this summer, set your LMAX to cooling. The air conditioning in your home or office cranked up too high, set your LMAX to heating. Feeling stressed from too many Zoom calls? Turn on LMX Massage Therapy and relax. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class. Now with LMX, your comfort is guaranteed. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. There has never been a better time to ditch that old no-name office chair and boost your productivity by treating yourself to the joys of X-Chair. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call one 844 for X-Chair to save $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel Bladecasters, xchaircommentary.com. Okay, so we've now spent 45 minutes talking about the coronavirus and all this stuff uh do we want to talk about joe biden informing us that four trillion dollars in government spending will have no inflationary effect whatsoever who wants let's, to take let's it do up?
1: that but i just also want to introduce something that's annoying me at this very particular moment as we because we're recording early we had the opportunity to record during blue origins maiden passenger flight with jeff bezos they achieved escape velocity, they went past the common line, they went into, you know, just suborbital flight, returned picture-perfect flight. And the sophisticated take in this country among the left at this revolutionary moment that opens up Earth orbit to commerce and promises a near-term future in which space is commercialized is to throttle it out of existence. Is to grab the baby in the cradle and stick it as fast as you possibly can and squeeze all the juice out of it. Because that is all they talk about.
0: Babies all, have juice.
1: Baby have you ever juice. The baby. He <laughs> will be unpleasantly surprised. Um, yes, that they want to do is just they see this and they see money, 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 money. It, the sophisticated take is it's stupid, it's dumb, it's boring, it's a vanity play, and this money would be much better used if we appropriated all of it and put it into affordable housing. It's the dumbest take, and it's it requires absolutely no analytical skill. To, to make that take. In fact, it's actually kind of a Luddite's take. And yet it's the sophisticated approach. It's it's If you're a smart thinking person on the center left in the media landscape and in, in Congress, in Congress, this is the first, this is what Representative Catherine Clark says. She looks at this miraculous invention, taking, taking private, privatizing space, miniaturizing these rockets, these rockets, these reusable boosters, which is another advent, which is miraculous, reusable boosters which are miniaturized. You know, NASA's boosters are like seven stories tall. These things are like three stories tall at most. And then she looks at this thing and says, "You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know it's time for billionaires to pay their fair share."
3: I mean we used to Back also we used to also admire it when someone who who uh, was involved in any sort of scientific experiment was brave enough to experiment on themselves, right? You know, you inject yourself with your own vaccine, you 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 test the radiation on yourself. I mean, at least these billionaires are putting their own lives at risk first before opening it up to commercial, you know, uses. But there's also I mean, you you know, it's more <clears> throat> throat> there's a fundamental
2: like uh, people who are down on this they don't understand that show me a society that didn't have people who uh strove for you know tremendous who who, who had tremendous private aspirations and aspirations for wealth and acted on those those societies also if they if you don't have that you don't have anyone resolving the the common problems the, the 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 difficult stuff no if if you can't have one without the other. You cannot have some sort of effort at relieving common suffering without these amazing feats on the other side. One actually feeds the other.
1: And this okay. is so inspiring. So let's go, Can you yeah. imagine how inspiring this is to people who aren't utterly joyless That you know, and, and what they will do with that inspiration in 10, 20 years?
0: Okay. It's not even, it. you know, all of this is true. And it's very important, but I think it goes beyond this, because when I was a kid, and I'm older than you guys, so I was eight years old when Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And, you know, two years later, nobody in the country cared about space travel, because... They landed on the moon, then they landed on the moon again, then they land. Then they didn't land on the moon because Apollo 13, you know, had its uh, terrible uh, crisis that it was, that it resolved so heroically. By the time they hit, I don't know which, which Apollo was it, 16, 17, whatever, you know, these crafts were going and they were landing and then nobody cared anymore. And why? There was a real, there was actually a reason why, because we went to the moon symbolically. And we went to the moon to say we could go to the moon, and because we didn't want the Russians to get to the moon first, and all of that. And then we got to the moon, and it was like, well, what now? Like, what? Why are we on the? What? What? You know, what's the purpose of this? And they they were like, well, we're you know, this is we did this in order to do it, and then we're here, some space rocks, and we, you know, we invented uh, Tang and Velcro. I mean, I don't whatever. And then, but there wasn't real. Well, I'm assuming real- by the way,
3: yeah. you, you mentioned Apollo eleven. I mean, today's July twentieth. It was July twentieth, nineteen sixty-nine that the the famous I mean, I assume that's yes. why Blue Origin chose today for the date to try this, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That and it was also the day that Tom Seaver almost pitched a perfect game. But I'm not gonna go into that same same day. But um I think what's important here is this is – all this is is practical application. That's part of what Noah's talking about here. The notion that you would say take this and do affordable housing. Well, I, I don't want to be like science fiction, you know, like a clownish science fiction. But um, if there's going to be affordable housing in sp- – this is how it starts. If there's going to be mm. not just the commercial exploitation of space uh, in this very high-end way that we're talking about, right – uh zero gravity uh, you know p- highly pure atmospheres that you can create silicon you can do things in a way that yeah, you commercial
1: applications for l- almost zero gravity total isolation um right yeah that's right yeah near vacuum conditions that's right yeah, in order to create applications. Yeah. Yeah,
0: to create, you know, unbelievably accurate uh, you know, me- in- instruments of measurement and stuff like that. There's all kinds of stuff that will have incredible practical applications that are very hard for us to fathom, but it is not hard for us to fathom that we are talking about the opening of a uh, a century or more of unimaginable possibilities for innovation that will change life as we know it for the better on earth.
1: Do you know how expensive it was to cross the Atlantic in the 16th century? <laughs> it yeah, cost a ton needed, of money. The, the only rich people, rich people who did it were very well-heeled uh, financial interests, in intense competition with their peers, financing these expeditions. Yeah, a couple I mean, of centuries I mean, down the line, you yeah, get a whole new world. Yeah. I mean,
0: Spain was the richest country in the world. when. That's why Columbus went to Ferdinand and Isabella and said pay for my trip. Like, you know, it, yeah, it was like, it was like, I don't know if it was the equivalent of a billion dollars, but it was building three ships and, you know, staffing them and whatever, and bringing all kinds of good. It was like, it was somewhere there was a
1: frowning inquisitor who said, well, this money could be much better used at the, the, you know, a conservancy.
0: Yeah, no, I look, it's a very important point and it's very, and what, what do you want Jeff Bezos to do with his millions? He has $166 billion. So he got divorced. So now his wife has $80 billion and she's giving it to every left-wing organization under the sun. So, sei to them. They should only enjoy getting that money. And what he's doing with the money is he is like, he and Branson and Musk and all these guys are, are trying to create the conditions under which the government effort to explore space, it would be wrong to say that it was a failure. But we, we can certainly say that the government efforts by America and the Soviet Union and Russia following it and China and all this uh, have been uh, astonishing in many realms, particularly in the realm of satellites and the creation of satellite technology and all the stuff that is involved in that that we don't even begin to understand. But this practical application for everyday life on Earth. These guys are doing this. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. But they're also not, as I said last week, they're also not buying basketball teams. You know, the one thing that happened in the 90s and 2000, when these when these uh, dot-com and tech billionaires made money, if you were Paul Allen, Bill Gates' partner, you bought the Seattle Supersonics, and then you bought the Seattle Mariners, and then you bought the Seattle WNBA team, and then you bought a radio station and say, you did this and you did that. And it's all fine. I'm not, he can do whatever he wants with his money. But I mean, these guys built rockets and sent them and have sent them into space. And it's a private competitive atmosphere. This is the other important part of this. The fact that it's Bezos and Musk and Branson means that they are not, they are competing, which is good because competition leads to innovation. If you're the only person doing it, you can take a, you know, you can, you can take a mulligan when something goes wrong or you can, you know, you can like celebrate yourself when something minor happens, but you can claim that it's something major. They can't do this because they're all checking each other's ambitions. And because there is a world of people that who are servicing them and who are making money off them and who are working for them and probably bouncing from one company to the other and all of that the innovation spiral is the Thomas Kuhn model. It is, this is the paradigm shift in which we are now going to be able to think about space and things are going to happen in space over the balance of the rest of my and our lifetimes that would not have happened otherwise. And that will, you know, and didn't happen for decades. I I think I mentioned this, that when I was a kid uh, on ABC, there was a TV movie called Salvage One with Andy Griffith. And it was about a guy living in Tennessee who built his own rocket and sent himself up to space in his own rocket. And it was fantastic. And it was, you know, and there were, you know, evil bureaucrats who were trying to stop him. We should look it up. It's really, it's really amazing. But it was effectively a kind of pop culture version of what is now happening and the idea that it is not universally celebrated is yet another sign that 30% of people, right, aren't going to get the vax because they believe that, you know, there are microchips in the in the you know in the sauce. And similarly, there are, you know, 30% of people, all of whom unfortunately, are part of this kvetching, you know, science, you know, when they say they believe in science, what they mean is they believe in the science that says that, you know, the climate is changing, but they don't believe in the science that says we should really send people into space, bring them back down, and then we can reuse the rockets and send them back up. And then at some point, we'll be able to put a base up there and do X, Y, and Z, whatever.
1: I wish it was just on the left. <laughs> it's also on the right, and I think it's a mark of their seriousness. Like they're very serious people. They're literally down to earth people um, because they they see all this as just you know billionaires playing with their toys and so irresponsible when the the American proletariat is, is hurting now. Um, and it's just narrow-minded and insular and, and backward high bound. And I wish they would recognize the people that they criticize in themselves in this, that they are beholden to an idea whose time has passed. The notion that this should be a government monopoly is over. I mean,
0: it's not only over, uh, as a matter of fact right it should be over as a matter of ideology i mean it should we there is no reason for this to be a government responsibility or obligation not only because government doesn't have the proper incentives at this point having innovated the actual entry and return from space um and 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 all of that that you know is is extraordinary Indeed, and was- the Hubble telescope and and the and the surveys of Mars and all of that that remain fundamentals of human achievement in you know uh, in the course of human history that were that were government projects. It was government's
1: retreat that created this market opportunity in many ways. Barack Obama is the father of the private space industry because if we got out of the orbital vehicle industry in 2011 and started using Russian rockets. It's the only way to get up and down. And it created a market opportunity for private companies to create a vehicle to get up and into orbit and back down again for government contracts. So that and you not can get just NASA that, contracts, defense contracts. Yeah. And
0: not just that, by the way, because, you know, we built this entire infrastructure for the space program. Uh, huge boondoggle spending in Texas and in, and, in, uh, and in Florida. I mean, you remember this, right? That uh, Houston, we have a problem. Why was the Space Center in Houston? Do you guys know why the Space Center was in Houston as opposed to in Florida where Cape Canaveral was? Because Lyndon Johnson lived in Texas and he was the center, you know, and, and so the idea was put, put this in Texas so that it could be, you know, it like made no sense. This is how government works, right? It should all have been localized in the same place so that the the engineers could live and work in the same place as the astronauts and They could all share common understandings and have lunch together, and all of this. And they were in Texas, and they were in Florida, and all this as they built this infrastructure. And now Cape Canaveral is being used, is being rented out, like for weddings, like by Musk, by Musk and Bezos and Branson to do this. So it's now there's a commercial application for all of this infrastructure investment that we made 40 and 50 years ago, and that we're still. Maintaining because it's a national obligation, national responsibility, national security issue, and we're like making some money off it. Another amazing thing that nobody seems to care about anymore. So uh, we are at one hour. I'm going to end right here because I'm so impressed for Abe, Christina, Noam, John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.